Thanks, Pastor Ryan and worship team for bringing us right where we need to be. Thinking about a God as a way maker and thinking about God and how he works in the midst of darkness and, and how in the world do we fit in that because often it just feels good to sit on the sideline and just cheer along and say, that's my God, right? But the scriptures aren't really full of examples of people just sitting on the sideline saying, that's my God and watching it all happen. They're always participatory. And this morning, that is what we're going to look at. We're going to look at, at how we play a part, especially in, in a city in the story that's told where you expect light to shine. I mean, yeah, God can break at any moment, but he really almost always works through his people. So what does that look like? So this morning, you know, when we talk about some of the, the greatest heroes of the faith, in particular in the Old Testament, certainly one of those is David. In this passage of Scripture this morning, it really is a, a leading up in the coronation of David, but that's not what I want to talk. I am going to talk a little bit about David. I want to talk about Solomon this morning, and I want to think about what happens to him and how he's leading this nation and how he's having to, to work through and get a way maker to make things happen for him. So I, let's, let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 15 this morning and and I'm not going to ask you to stand. You've been standing, and this is a long passage, so you can just remain seated. But 1 Samuel chapter 15, beginning in the 34th verse. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go if Saul hears that he will kill me? But the Lord says, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you should do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said, and he went to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons, and he invited them to the sacrifice. And so it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointing is before him. But the Lord said to, Psalm, to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass through Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? And then he said, There remains yet the youngest and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So we went and brought him in. Now he was a ruddy, 
he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking and the Lord said arise anoint him for this is the one and then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward Samuel arose and went to Ramah may the Lord add his blessing to his word it's a story that you've heard many times and I love there's a song you know one by one Jesse's son stood before the prophet and soon when, when the Ah, I forgot the chorus. When others see a shepherd boy, God may see a king. But I think what's important here is we think about how God works in the world, and, and Samuel's a leader, is just looking at, at the scrutiny at which sometimes we live in. Because sometimes we look at the heroes of faith and we think, oh, they never had a problem. Their faith is so deep that they just wake up in the morning and everything happens the way it's supposed to happen. They don't. No, that's not at all the case. We usually look at this story from David's perspective. Let's look at Samuel's perspective. Samuel, in essence, is the father of this nation at the time. He is the leader. He is the guidance. He is, he is the one who is connected to God. He's the glue that holds all things together in this nation. He is holding a great office. It's had ups and downs. He's gone and he is... The, the, the people demanded a king, so he tried to do what he thought was right, and we wind up anointing Saul. Saul doesn't do what God wants, and so, in essence, Saul is, is, is pushed aside, and Samuel is kind of mourning over this thing. But I think if we look at Samuel, it teaches us how to follow God. It teaches us how to be the kind of people that God wants us to be. Samuel teaches us what it means to, to be obedient, as well as, 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 as the leader here. He's, he's an aging priest. He, he's at the end of his perennial, or not perennial, but he's in end of his, his preeminent power here. It, this is it. This is, this is the, the crux. This is the, the apex of what he's going to do. We're, we're going to hear very little about Samuel anymore. And he knows that people are watching. And he knows that he must be faithful. Today's scripture is this period of time that says, God says, I'm done with King Saul. And he's going to handpick the next king. Even though that king that he will choose will not assume that crown for 15 to 20 years. That's a fascinating piece too. And nobody but David's family is going to even know it. It's a coronation that occurs with no one around except for the family members. Well, let's just look. It's pretty easy to find out that Samuel was obedient. That he was obeying God. And that sounds pretty simple and easy. But but Samuel is famous for this, for his obedience. As a little boy, you know that he was serving alongside this elderly priest, priest named Eli. And he would listen to God calling out his name. He could hear it. He was very sensitive to the Spirit. And throughout Samuel's life, he wants nothing more than to obey God. And immediately before this passage, immediately, if you go back and you look in the pe- previous pieces, he, he, <laughs> he tells King Saul, who is very powerful, can you imagine going before the most powerful person in the world who has the ability to, to destroy you in a moment's notice, you are no longer king. God is disappointed in you. (laughs) You have not obeyed God. You have allowed evil to come into your heart and you have done things that you should not have done. Can you imagine that? And he says, your days are numbered. 
to the most powerful man in the world, at least as he knows, God's done with you. And then, this leader, if you look, it's pretty heinous. He hacks Agag to death because Saul was told to do it. He didn't do it, so Samuel had to come in and clean it up and do what God had asked. So this scripture opens up and and Samuel is mourning. He is so upset because he was excited about Saul. He believed in Saul. He saw the anointing of Saul. And so he is sad. And now he's sad because not only that, that, they've taken it away. And if you are anything like any leader that has ever existed in the history of mankind, you did something, what you thought God was calling you to do, it has failed. And now you feel like, did I get it wrong? Was I misled? Did, Did I think that God was leading me, but somehow it was my own. There's no doubt that in his mind, he's thinking, am I really capable of doing what God is calling? It looks like I've messed it up. He didn't mess it up, but you can know that he's feeling that. And notice the challenge of obedience that it continues, even though that's over. If he's going to obey God. He now is being told by God, leave your hometown, go through Saul's town, And go anoint a new king. Well, he just told Saul, and probably of our court, that you're no longer king, there's going to be a new one. And what do you think Saul would think would happen when he saw Samuel walking from one place? And he's trying to overthrow the kingdom. He's trying to go ahead and put a king in place right now. And so he's scared about this. He knows that if he leaves, that Saul's people are watching him. And he knows that his life is in danger here. He knows that Saul, as we look throughout Scripture, definitely has an anger problem. He knows that Saul is intensely jealous. To obey God is to commit an act of treachery in the eyes of King Saul. And so Samuel says, God, you know how difficult this is. And this is what I want to talk to us about today, that we often wind up in situations where we say, it can't be done, because if it's done, then I will, be, I will meet my demise, or I will lose my job, or I will lose my status, or it will cost me financially. We look at things when God is calling us and say, no, God, how in the world can it work? But look at him. He talks to God. And he says, man, how are we going to do this, God? And he gives him a story, a cover story. He says, you're going to make a sacrifice because you're a priest. That's what you do. And be sure Jesse and his family are there. It's the truth. It's all the truth. You see, that's often God will help us. And we think sometimes that, we, that the obedience is like this, like, a, like a, a soldier in an army. Go and do, and then you just go. But often I think that we find in Scripture there's a whole lot more reasoning. God, I don't know how it works. Can you help me understand? God, you know that I am unequipped. How can you help me to equip me? And so this is this dialogue that's going, and he says, I'm going to help you. You're not alone. There's wisdom from on high that can help you do what I'm calling you to do. We're never alone. And when it seems like the task that you've been called to is daunting, and you don't think that you can find the strength to be obedient, remember, God is still talking and saying, hey, I'm going to help you. I'm not just casting you out and waiting to see how you flop or fail so he goes and he says you will anoint the future king the man that I tell you you ever wonder why God just doesn't spell it out why doesn't God just tell Samuel hey why don't you go down to Bethlehem go to uh, Jesse's house and go find David and he's going to be the king 
Why doesn't he do that? I mean, isn't that much simpler? That's what I'd prefer. That's what I think ought to happen here. You just go tell him, and then you go, and you make this a, a coronation for everybody to see. Why doesn't he do that? David, the youngest son, next king. But God doesn't. He keeps the mission vague. It's, a, it's like it's a big secret. He doesn't tell um, Abraham when he's going to go out into the desert and see things. He doesn't tell him where to go. He's not really told Moses where the, the land is. He, he seems like he's constantly just spoon-feeding just a little bit of what we need to, to get to the next place. And why does God do that? Why does, why does God often start calling us, but we never really can see the big picture? What, what's going on? Why does that? I think sometimes he barely gives enough just to take the next step. That's what I feel like. I feel often that's the case. It's just the next step is all that I can get. And maybe that's the answer. Maybe that God gives us the next step. So guess what? You will always have to depend on him for the next step. Because when we start taking our own steps, we depend on ourselves. We devise our own plans. We do our own things. And next thing you know, we think we're as good as God. And sometimes we often say, hey, look what God did when we actually did it ourselves. But when we were increasing our faith with each step and saying, I don't know what's next, but I know what I've been told, then we just take it until the next, one come, next piece opens up. We learn to depend on God and not ourselves. And Samuel knows that, and that's exactly what he does. He doesn't really ask questions. He says, okay, God, that's what you want. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go down there. I'm going to sacrifice, and you're going to show who's the king. I don't know who it is. I don't know, really, maybe not even know these people. But Samuel obeys. So Samuel did what the Lord told him to do. He obeys the Lord. He takes the next step, which is what all of us should be doing, taking the next step when God leads. I don't know how I'll do it, but I'll take the next step. And I love the reaction of the locals. So he comes to the town, and they are frightened. Samuel's here. Why in the world are they scared that Samuel is there? Samuel is the priest. He's the leader of the nation. I mean, wouldn't you be happy? Well, I'm not going to say everybody's happy to see the preacher. Especially if they come in unannounced. But remember, he just killed the king, Agag. This guy's serious business. He's connected to God. He's the spokesperson for God. In fact, I think his life of obedience has gained such a reputation. It's kind of like how people revere Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, how they, how they all revere that. It's exactly that. Oh, here comes Samuel. I'm not even worthy. And I think that's something else, that, not that anyone should ever be imposed or think that you're imposing upon them, but I think you ought to recognize when you come into a place that you're a person of God. That they know that you're about obedience and you don't really care what the world says. You're going to do the things that God says. When you follow God, I think often you get a lot of respect from other people. Sometimes it's disdain, but nonetheless they'll respect you for what you believe. Your obedience matters not only to you, but it also matters to those who are around you. Those that you love. Those that are influenced by you. Godly people know that their obedience will affect generations. Generations. And I want you to know that, that be, being obedient is not passive. 
it's not just doing what society says. Obedience means being bold when God tells you to do something. And it will have an effect for generations to come. Perhaps Samuel even has influence on David in the things that are happening here in today's story. The Apostle Paul later will give us God's take on him. And he says in Acts 13, 22, that Paul quotes God as saying, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. It's all about obedience. It's about knowing God, believing God, and then trusting God and doing what he says and asks us to do. If we want to be the kind of people and, and see a God move in a city where there is darkness then we have to be a people of obedience regardless of the cost there is no way around it yeah God can just break in and just have it all but he is counting on you to be obedient he's counting on Samuel who makes a difference in David who really turns the story of God because they're obedient boldly so what has God challenged you to be obedient about lately and if you say nothing then I said we need a checkup to ask God to draw closer. The second thing about Samuel here, and I think this is fascinating, he is getting, uh, I'm not going to say he's elderly in those days, but perhaps he, he is certainly at the apex. He's at, been coming to the end of his career, and he doesn't stop learning. He doesn't stop. He doesn't ever think that he's got it all figured out. He never sits down and says, I know all about this. Now listen up, boys. I'm going to teach you up. Think about this. Samuel has been speaking for God for a long time. He's the pinnacle of his prophetic role right there. Anointing David was going to be the most important thing that he ever does. It's going to be the capstone of his career. Yet even at this point, he's still working to discern God's will. In verse 6, Samuel surmises this uh, Jesse's firstborn son. He looks very kingly. He looks like the guy. He's got to be the guy. He looks like everything that we possibly could need. He's got to be the guy. But God gives him an important lesson in verse 7. He says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider the appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look on the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That is something new that God is, is teaching Samuel. He's saying, look here, things are not what they appear, and the way the world would define it is wrong. Let me say that again. The way the world would define things is wrong. Now, it's great when the world defines things as the way God defines them, but if we get caught up thinking that the world is our definition of success, if the world is our definition of, of how we should proceed in this life, we are in a mess we talked last week how sin exists, and that's the why the world is broken, and that is why it is so difficult. It is wrong. Do not consider. Look at the heart. And when the Bible talks about the heart, he's not talking about that organ, you know, that just pumps and delivers all the blood. He's talking about the center of one's emotions, one's intellect, one's desires. It's the spiritual core of a person. And evidently, Samuel's learning this lesson. Because quickly, he figures out none of these seven people are the king. Hey, I got a task to do. God has called me to do it. I'm going to be looking closely, and I'm going to say, yeah, yeah, that's a, oh, that's not the king. Well, how about this is the king? No, this is the king. There's seven. There's seven who have been here. God, you said that want to be the seven, so you got to figure this thing out, right? They may look good on the outside. King Saul looked good on the outside, but they don't have what it takes on the inside. 
And so Samuel says, don't you have any other boys? Don't you have anybody else? Because I know God has called me, and I know that somebody else has to be here. And when he hears that Jesse has one more son in the field, he says, we're not sitting down until you go get it. We're going to stay right here until we complete this task. I'm not going to go home and come back. Go get him. Let's do business right now. And the youngest is brought in, and the Lord whispers to Samuel's soul, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Even at whatever advanced age Samuel is, whatever experience he has in this highest office, he's still learning to follow God. Godly people are not afraid to say, I'm still learning to follow God. Please forgive me, God, because I know that it's not complete. And I know sometimes that I have taken it upon myself to act and feel like I got it all. But the people who are godly people, they never stop learning. Learning and learning and experiencing God and and taking the next step, going deeper all the days of their life. And they know that God is not done with them. Even at any advanced age, there is still work to be done. obedience never stop learning never let God stop teaching then I want to pivot to David for just a moment for this last piece and that is the character that is cultivated that God cultivates and takes a long time sometimes and although Samuel is known for godly character let's just take about think about David it's a big unveiling for David, right? It's his moment. Holy Spirit comes on him. Power, never to leave him again. First Samuel 6.13. It's a pivotal moment in the book of First Samuel. It's the first time that this author mentions David by name. It is the time that David is coming. It's the first time that we hear. And most scholars think that this shepherd boy is about 15 years old in this story. And after Samuel leaves, guess what David probably goes back and does? Back to the sheep. He's been anointed king over everything, and he's sent back to the sheep. Hey, shh, don't tell anybody. You're the king, but you go take care of the sheep. Later, his big brothers go to war. We know that. And this um, underage David is left behind, and David gives him the job of taking the food. Uh, David's dad gives his job of taking the food to the front. And that's when he becomes famous overnight. He kills this giant. He's pressed almost immediately into royal service as he becomes king's personal musician. The only one who can calm King Saul. Saul has no idea who David is at this point. It was going to become. Yet still no one knows outside the immediate family who the next king is. What a secret to carry. You ever think about that? You're king, but you're not going to be king for 20 more years. Now, how many of you can hold that down and just say, oh, it's all going to work out. You're go- One day you're going to be under my foot, and you think that I, you know, that kind of stuff. Oh, how many of us could do it? It's been 15 long years before this southern kingdom of Judah crowns him as king. It's another five years before the northern kingdom of Israel joins into uniting back into uh, the two kingdoms in these 12 tribes under one crown. There's 12, 20 years of waiting. Why would God do this? Why would God anoint? Why would God say all of these things? Like, you're going to be big, but you know what? 
just hold up? Why wouldn't he just say, do it right now, David is king, and it's all over? Why would he not do that? In David's life, I can only imagine, it was spent cultivating character. He's led sheep. He's learned to lead people. You know, there are similarities. You know, both can be pretty stupid at times, you know. But there are differences. But David learns a lot while he's waiting. He must remain humble while he will be the most powerful in the world has ever seen. David never rushes the timetable. He's always speaking highly of Saul. Saul, who's already been refused. He's refusing to even threaten the hair on his head. David's waiting for God. And he's growing his character. We're never too old for our character to be developed as God is leading us and teaching us and showing us. And we can take the experiences of life, and that is exactly what we should be doing. I wish today we could say to all of you that life will never be difficult. I wish to say to you that all of your bills will be paid for the rest of your life. You will never skin your name. All of your children will grow up and be robust members of society that love God and and, and do all that. I wish that you would never have to deal with death. I wish that you could deal with I wish that we could say all those things. But we can't. But one thing I am confident in the scripture is full of examples. That every time that we experience those things and we recognize that there can be something good brought out of them, our character is raised a notch. Our character is, is, is able to help other people because we've been through similar things. We've learned. We've improved, always learning, always growing, always seeking to be more Christ-like in our own attitudes and our own behaviors. I like, there's little bumper stickers. I don't remember the exact saying, but it says something like, I'm a child of God, and it, and it has a sense of pride to it. And I'm not saying that shouldn't have. Throw me with it, I'm a child of God. We are children of God. We, we have been promised something. There is a place at the end of all of this where things are made perfect. And sometimes we think, well, that's it. I, I am a child of God. You get off of me. You can have this. Pro, but I want you to know, yeah, that's the truth. But you're still going to have to deal with the stuff. You're still going to have to go through it. God will still walk you through it, and there are still good things. And if we're going to make a difference, we have to recognize that. When things happen, learn from, become stronger because of them. I don't believe for one moment that God has caused them. That is not my theology. There are theologies out there that believe that. That is not mine, and I don't believe it. I believe wholeheartedly that those things happen, and they can make us into the people of God, that we can be more effective for God if we'll let it, and we'll let it build our character. Allowing God to have more and more of us as we seek to do His will because it matters. And it matters for generations. I believe that Samuel had an effect on David. And I believe that David, we have known, has had an effect really on every Christian that's ever existed. And I believe that if you live the life that God is calling you to do in obedience and always learning and having your character built, 
you will have an effect on generations, your children, your neighbors, in the city, in a town. Because the truth is, if you want anything to change in a dark place like he was talking about in Thailand, guess where it begins? With you. You can't go and make someone else do all these things, but you can apply them to yourself. It is what God is calling us to do. It is an example that Samuel gave us. The only question is, what will we do with it? I sure would hate to find out later on, you know what? There was so much that I had for you, but you know, you just never could be obedient. And then when you were obedient, you jumped off and you you wouldn't listen to me. You wouldn't learn from me. And even when the difficulties happened, you never let it build your character. You just kind of complained and said, why, oh, why my me? And then just kind of uh, push things aside. Let us not be those people. Let us be like David, a man after God's own heart who was directly influenced by Samuel. There's no telling how many Davids might be around you. Father, help us today. Your truths are stinging for me often, and they're difficult. It's easy to say, God, that I, this is what I want, this is what I will do, but I recognize that I need your constant encouragement and strength just to stand up and do these things, God. Help our people here as we desire to see the light of God shown every place that we go, that you are calling us to be the light, that you are calling us to make the difference, and it's not someone else's job, it's ours. Help us to be obedient to that truth, that we might impact all generations for the glory of God, that we might have that sense of fulfillment of being what you called us to be, God. We love you, we honor you, ask for your blessings on us today in Jesus' name. You are dismissed.